What's up, world? Welcome back to another episode of Just Grow It, the podcast. I'm your host, Big City Gardener, and today we are continuing talking about vermicomposting. Today we are going to talk about how to set up an easy vermicomposting bin and what to pay attention to whenever we are first starting our worm bin. All right. Let's get to it. All right, so if you remember the last episode, we talked about the benefits of using vermicompost in our garden, and we also learned that worm castings and vermicompost are not actually the same thing. Quick reminder, uh, worm castings are what I call lifeless worm poop, okay? Uh, Worm castings are often produced on large scales by big-time companies shipped all across the country and... Look, man, I I just don't believe it. (laughs) I don't believe that they are full of as much life as they could be. Uh, Vermicompost to me is a is is filled with life. Okay, Um, you fed your worms as opposed to feeding them worm chow. You fed them actual food. Uh, You may have even fed them bakashi scraps, which is one of my favorite things to feed the worm bin. The inputs that you put into vermicompost are usually higher quality than the ones that they put into worm castings. So higher quality inputs will always lead to higher quality outputs. All right, so let's get started. How do we go about setting up a worm bin? The first thing we're going to need is a container, all right? Uh, You'll see a lot of people using plastic Rubbermaid totes, and these work well, But don't stop there. You could use a wooden drawer if you had one. You could even use any sort of BPA-free plastic box that you may have. Um, I've seen people repurpose old fish tanks into vermicomposting bins. The choice is really yours. I would say that if we're going to use a Rubbermaid tote, then we should go with 10 gallons or larger. And when it comes to these Rubbermaid totes, we don't want the totes that are extremely deep. We would prefer totes that are shallower and wider. Why is that? Composting worms, they live their life extremely close to the top of the soil. So us getting a container that is extremely deep, it doesn't actually benefit us. I've successfully raised earthworms and probably something that's what that four or five inches deep. It's, um, it's a mortar mixing tub. Yeah, and I got a lot of worm castings from there and even raised a bunch of worms in those things. So don't overthink the container. It's not necessary. Any container you find can be made into a worm bin. Once we have our container, now we need to make sure we have proper ventilation. Worms are no different than most things on the planet. Without proper ventilation, without access to fresh oxygen, they will die. So... We add the oxygen by adding these ventilation holes into our bin. Get a quarter-inch drill bit and just go in and punch a bunch of holes all throughout the sides of the container. Or you could have a bin that has no top that you cover with something like a burlap sack, and then you will not necessarily need to add ventilation holes on the side of your bin. But if you do add these vent holes, make sure that you place some sort of hardware cloth or window screen or some piece of mesh on the inside of the bin 
to stop the worms from trying to get out. A worm bin is an environment, okay? If the conditions in the environment are unfavorable, the worms will try to escape. So it is very important that we block off the exit holes for the worms. Actually, it's more important that we create a more favorable uh, environment for them, but we'll get to that next. After I have the ventilation holes in my container, now it is time to pay attention to the bedding. Now, when I say bedding, a lot of people's minds will go to, man, let me go grab some soil and throw it in this bin. But that is not what we actually need. We can use things like newspaper. We can use cocoa core. You're looking for a material that retains moisture well, but does not stay extremely saturated. If you have access to a paper shredder, this is when you're going to want to shred a lot of the paper bedding and then add it into our bin. I like to mix in some cocoa core or a couple handfuls of soil into this paper or cardboard or whatever type of bedding that I use just to give it more of like a homely feel for the worms. On the bottom of my bin, I like to place a piece of cardboard. Once I have that piece of moist cardboard down at the bottom, then I put my bedding on top of that. The reason for this piece of cardboard on the bottom of the bin is because it helps to maintain a consistent moisture level within the bedding. Worms don't want bedding that is too dry because they will dry out and die. Worms do not want bedding that is too moist because there will not be enough oxygen and they will not be able to live or survive. So that piece of cardboard at the bottom, if there's too much moisture in the bedding, it can be housed in that piece of cardboard. If the bedding is too dry, then the bedding can absorb the water or absorb the moisture from the piece of cardboard at the bottom. Now, after I've added the bedding and the bedding is moist, then I come in and I add the soil. But let's go back to the moist bedding. Moist bedding is moist, not overly saturated. You want the bedding to feel more like a moist sponge as opposed to a saturated sponge. So think about how a sponge feels when you throw it in a cup of water and you pick it up. It's dripping moisture from it. That's too wet. Think about the sponge after you give it a little half a squeeze and most of the moisture runs out of the sponge. That is the moisture level that we want for our bedding. After we add the bedding, now we're going to add a handful or two of compost or soil into our bedding. That's really just to introduce some microorganisms into this bin. What I like to do is to also bury some food scraps or jumpstart everything by burying a bucket of bakashi that I may have. If you're not already bakashi composting, you definitely should. And guess what? You can feed your bakashi compost scraps to your worm bin and help create an even more supercharged vermicompost. After I've added my bakashi scraps to the worm bin, I let it sit for a few days. Actually, I really let it sit for almost a week. During this time, I'm usually waiting on my worms to get here or I'm out trying to find the worms. After it's been a week, now I'm ready to add my worms to the worm bin. Boom. Dump them in. As soon as I add the worms to the worm bin, I give them a few sprays from a water bottle and then I put a piece of moist newspaper on top. Uh, a piece of moist burlap sack on top, a piece of moist cardboard on top. You get the picture. You just want to you just want that moisture on top. Okay. Now you can even put a lid on top of that. 
if you like, but it's not always necessary. After we've added the worms to our bin, we're going to leave our bin undisturbed. Don't touch it for a few days. Then, after a few days, go remove whatever lid you have, whatever cardboard or burlap you have on the top, and you should see your worms have made their way over to your food scraps and they've started eating it. Now that we have the bin set up and it's kind of doing its thing, we can add more food scraps to the bin every time we notice that our last section has been devoured. Now, some people say add food scraps to your bin once a week, but I can't give you a time period because that depends on how many worms you have, the size of your bin, um, the amount of food that you put in there weekly. For the first month or so of having the worm bin, we're really dialing things in. We're figuring out how much we can feed the worms and how often to feed them. We want to make sure that we're not overfeeding our worms because worms are no different than humans. They don't just want to sit there and be force fed, okay? If we overfeed our worms, what we can end up doing is altering the environment. We need to make sure we're paying attention to things like the pH of our bin, And we can pay attention to that by paying attention to the amounts of foods that we add and trying to add them in, you know, kind of even ratios. So don't put too much citrus in. Don't put too much bread in. Just give it a nice even mix of everything. After the first month or so, once we kind of fine tune these things and we know how much moisture to add to the bin, um, how often we can feed the bin, then we're really just repeating the process. We're going to repeat the process until all of our bedding has been eaten, okay? Once our bedding has been eaten and we've buried food scraps in multiple corners and all throughout our bin, then we are ready to harvest our vermicompost. And you can harvest the vermicompost different ways, but one of the easiest ways I find doing it is just burying a fresh set of food on one side and most of the worms will make their way to that side of the bin then I'm able to pull out a majority of the vermicompost and add new bedding back into my bin. Another option is to build a a stackable worm casting system or a tiered worm casting system. So as the worms devour everything in the lower tier, they work their way up. So then you're able to just simply pull off one bottom tier or remove one bottom bin and your worms will already be in the bin above it. We can remove the bin, harvest the castings, then fill the bin with fresh bedding, some Bokashi compost scraps, and throw it back on top of our tiered system. So that's how you set up a worm bin or a vermicomposting system. The same principles apply even if you're setting up an outdoor system as opposed to an indoor system. Whether you're using a plastic container or a stone-encased area, or outdoor wooden bin. We want to make sure that we keep the worm bin shaded and cool. We want to make sure we keep it out of direct sunlight if possible. We're not overfeeding our worms. We're paying attention to the moisture levels, and we're ensuring that the worm bin always has fresh bedding available. One of the super dope things that happens when you make your own vermicompost at home is you are left with this liquid in the bottom of your worm bin, I like to just call it vermicompost tea. If you know the benefits of compost tea and the benefits of things that I like to call garden teas, 
Well, this material that you get here, this diluted liquid, is the equivalent of a supercharged compost tea. Your plants will thank you for applying it to them, whether you apply it foliarly or you add it as a soil drench. But you only have access to this liquid if you make your own vermicompost. That's it for today's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, I need for you to like this, share it with a friend or two. Let's just spread the word about the Just Grow Up podcast. But for now, go outside, find some sort of container so you can start vermicomposting. And once you get that vermicompost, it'll help you just grow it. I'm out. Before I let you go, I need you to do more than one thing. First, I need you to like, comment, subscribe to the podcast. Second, I need you to tell a friend or two about the show if you enjoyed it. And if you have anybody you think I need to talk to, I should interview, send the name over, put it in the comments, or send me an email, igrow at Big City Gardener. And check me out, man, on Instagram and on all social media platforms, Big City Gardener. We out. Oh, almost forgot. Just grow it. <laughs>